Good morning, everybody. I, I was um, thinking with, it was about a transition in music and with Pearl leaving and what Doobie's been doing. Doobie and I have breakfast on uh, Thursday mornings at the Cloverleaf. The food's not great, but the fellowship's good. Um, and Doobie and I were talking one, one uh, Thursday morning, and I had some suggestions for music, and I know nothing about music. And Doobie listened to me for a second, and he said, you know, Sam, we're not there to perform for you on Sunday mornings. We're there to worship. Why don't you think what you're bringing? Um, we were quiet for a while after that. <laughs> but I thought about God's grace as I was preparing to read. Our reading this morning is from uh, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. So I wasn't supposed to preach this morning, uh, but here I am. Dan had a sermon pretty much prepared uh, when the news came, and uh, I told him, you don't need to think about preaching, go be with the family, and uh, off he went. So I decided that I would step in to try to extend the series that John and Dan have been on in the month of July, which is about our identity. Who are we? You know, they've talked about a lot of terms and ideas related to our identity. Saints is one of them that I remember. They've talked about a, a lot of things related to who we are, people who are forgiven. Today, I want to talk about people who were created for a particular purpose. As a matter of fact, that whole passage that Sam just read is a prelude to one main idea. It's at the very end. By grace, you've been saved. You had nothing to do with it. It was a gift of God. And you know why? Because God chose you in advance and prepared in advance good works for you to do. That's the summary of what Paul was driving at in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. But let me remind you of what Paul says when he opens up the epistle. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons to the praise of his glorious grace which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the grace that he has lavished on us. And he's made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. I don't know if anybody else has ever said this. I've never seen it written. But I think that is the most amazing prologue to any epistle in the New Testament. If you take a look at the other epistles, they don't start out quite like this. This rises to the level of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul just starts out and he says, I want you to know who you are. You are people that God lavished his grace on. If that's the introduction, chapter 2 is the beginning of the explanation. The introduction is it's all about grace. Chapter 2 is it's all about grace for a purpose. And what does Paul say in chapter 2? He says, once you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. That's, that's the first image. Once you were a corpse. Once you had no life. Once you had no hope of eternal life. You were absolutely dead in your transgressions and in sin. But now, because of Christ, you're alive. There's another image he uses in chapter 2. He said, once, basically, you were slaves. You were slaves to sin, or as he puts it, slaves to the prince of the power of the air. It meant that you didn't make decisions on your own. Oh, you thought you did, but you weren't making your own decisions. You were guided around by the prince of the power of the air. You were slaves. You were chained to your own absolutely self-centered human fleshly desires. It's all you could do. That's the second image. And then he says, the manifestation of that slavery, it's quite simple. You actually lived according to the flesh. Now, the first thing we think of when we think of living according to the flesh is probably some sort of sin related to the flesh. Okay? Pick your sin related to the flesh. That's probably what you initially think of. And that's true. But Paul is saying something more than this sin or that sin which comes from the flesh. Paul is saying you were enslaved to your fleshly desires. In other words, all you could do was live out your own selfish identity. That's all you could do before Christ. You were living out of the material reality that made you who you were. You were not living out of the eternal reality that I would give you. You were totally fleshly, completely, and absolutely, absolutely, 
human in the worst sense of the term. I don't know if I've ever mentioned, but I'm a lover of country music. Did I ever tell you that? I actually am. I especially like country music that's old-time country music. So Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Haggard, you know, those guys, I, I really like them. The new country's okay, but the old country's better. And um, this week, my wife had over uh, a group of her teachers for supper. So the entire house, the entire house was full of women. Um, and I appreciate what she does. Um, I love women. And, but there was just too much estrogen in one place for me to stick around, right? So I decided I had to go somewhere else to eat. So I went to one of my favorite places, which not too many people know about, Trailhead Pizza off of 446 going towards the lake. You'd miss it if you weren't looking. It's right on the curve. You go to Trailhead Pizza on any given night, most nights, there's somebody there performing. Might be just one guy with a guitar, might be two, it might be three, never more than three because the stage is tiny. I mean, it's not much bigger than the piano itself. So I went out there and uh, thought I'll get something to eat. And of course, they had a band there. And it was a country band. It was only three guys. And they were from northern Indiana and they came all the way down just to play. And the guy who's the leader of the band, he writes a lot of his own music. And the thing I love about country music, it, it, it tells a story better than most any other music, right? And it's, I know it's a whining story and all that kind of stuff, but it's, it's a great story. And uh, one of the songs uh, that he sang, and I assume he wrote, uh, struck me. Uh, the, the words go like this. I'm not going to sing it for you. I wish I could. I, I, I almost pulled out the CD and played it, but that would have been bad. Um, and the words go like this about this song, and the song is called Money. Just money. You could, you could call the song Stuff if you wanted to. Okay? You could call the song Things. The words go like this. He had new cars and a big house. He lived it up always, out late. She wore diamonds and liked finer things. She dressed like a star. They had everything anyone would want. All the stuff in the world. Closets. Their closets like a storefront. And then the chorus says, it sure is sad, and it ain't funny. Some folks are so poor, all they have is money. That's some powerful stuff, even if it is country. Some people are so consumed by self, all they have is self. Some people are so consumed by their natural desires, list the natural desire, all they have is that natural desire. And Paul is saying, before Christ came to you, that's who you were. 
All you had was your natural desires. All you had was your flesh. All you had was your cravings. But now you have been given an opportunity to live another way. It's by grace you've been given this gift. And it's by grace that you're called to live another way. So what's the divine purpose for this story? The divine purpose for the story of grace that Paul has just explained, the divine purpose is so that you can live the rest of your life as a person who does good works. No, it doesn't earn you credit. You don't get to heaven because of it. That's got nothing to do with it. It's in response for the grace that has been lavished on you, says Paul. I lavished all this grace on you in Jesus Christ so that you could be so grateful that you would live it out with good works. Good works. Sometimes it's gotten a bad rap, especially in the Reformed department of Christianity. But it shouldn't. We were made for good works, not to earn credit. We were made for good works to reflect the image of God. We were made for good works to restore creation. To be stewards of the gift that's been given to us. God's earth. We were made for good works in order to share the love of God with others. So what does this mean? What does it mean to be created for good works? Maybe the best way to answer that question is just to look at the life and ministry of Jesus. Think about what the life and ministry of Jesus was all about. It was about going around and doing good of course, it was also about saying who he was and calling people to follow him, but it was always about doing good, about healing the sick, about helping the poor, giving sight to the blind, physically and spiritually, justice for the oppressed. Visiting those who were in prison. And in a word, serving others. What is good works? Service to others. Where does it happen? At home. That's where it begins. And that's where arguably it's the hardest. To be overwhelmingly thoughtful and kind to those you know and love the best? Is it only me? That's just not easy. I feel a sense of entitlement. I think she shouldn't say that. And then I respond. Be kind to one another. Compassionate tender-hearted. It doesn't just start between the adults and the family. It trickles down to the children. You know, those generous, grateful, good works children are the ones who saw their parents live in that kind of harmony and did that for others. This good works. It starts in the home, where almost everything else does. 
But this good works, it, it should be in the workplace as well, shouldn't it? It should, it should actually look like this. You know that person at work that really annoys you? Who you think might or you might know has actually undercut you? You fill in the gaps, okay? You know their name. You, you, you're, you're seeing their face right now. You know who they are. What do good works mean? It means to lavish grace upon that person. But they did to lavish grace on that person. But you don't know to lavish grace on that person. But they don't, of course they don't deserve it. Neither do you. What's a good work? To lavish grace upon that person. And it's also in the church, right? That's a lot like the family sometimes. We get irritated with other people that we love and know so well and who we have very high expectations for. And we get really irritable with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's an opportunity to exercise gratitude for the grace that's been lavished on us. That's what it's an opportunity for, to do good works to those people in this body of Christ. So let me give a shameless plug. Will you allow me to do that? This ministry and every other ministry cannot survive without people who are inclined to good works for nothing. They call them volunteers. It's the only way this place runs. They pay a few of us. But the rest of the work is done by you. And whenever you hear an announcement that says, we still have a need for 26 children volunteers. Have you ever thought of that as a good work? Have you ever said to yourself, you know what, God has graciously blessed me so much, has poured out his love upon me, I can't help but respond to that. I'm going to go find out where the need is, and I'm going to fill it. That's a good work. It's a good work just because it is. It's also a good work because you might want to reflect on the words of Jesus that are so famous. Let the little children come to me. So good works, they begin at home, they happen in the church, they happen at work, they, they happen in the community. I, lo I love coffee a lot, um, but Dan Waugh drinks more of it than I do. It's a fact, if, you, if you're in the office, you know that whole pot, he would drink the whole pot all by himself. So we have to run in there and grab a cup before he gets to it. Um, and, and whenever we have staff meeting days, we make two pots because we know there won't be any left, right? And so anyway, I love coffee. And I, I have this thing about coffee. I've I gotten to be kind of a coffee snob. Um, and I, I feel like, and this is my prideful side, my coffee snide 
uh, snidiness, uh, snobbiness has, has morphed into a real important justice issue for me. So I, I now only drink, for the most part, locally roasted coffee, right? So, I mean, every once in a while I go to Starbucks, I, I feel a pang of conscience by going, but every once in a while I go to Starbucks, and when, when I go to Starbucks, I get frustrated. Not because they don't have good coffee, not because I think I'm so ethical that I want to do only local beans, but the reason is because there's always a long line. And um, I have this theory about Starbucks that I, I've not written them about this, but I think it would really be revolutionary. Um, I think that Starbucks ought to have an express lane. And the express lane is for people that just get coffee. I mean, like me, black coffee. Because I get in line behind somebody, and they are foo-foo in every drink. I want a cappuccino, a little slurp of this and a slap of that. And like, are you kidding me? We're not making a meal hill. Pour me a cup of coffee. So a lot of times, by the time I get up to the clerk to get my coffee, I really have a bad attitude. I'm serious. That's the other reason I don't go to Starbucks. I just want a cup of coffee. I don't want to talk. I don't want the foo-foo. And I don't want to listen to somebody describe their drink. I mean, yeah, you're laughing because it's funny, but you know how wrong that is? <laughs> you know how self-centered that is? <laughs> so what in, instead would it be like if I went to the coffee shop and my primary motivation was not to be served as quickly as I wanted to be? But my primary motivation was actually to be nice to the person behind the counter. Now that would be revolutionary. That's bigger than an express lane. <laughs> if I could reorient myself, I would call that, for me, a remarkably good work. If I could step up to that clerk or any other, and my first motivation would be, how can I make their day better. Um, that would be great, wouldn't it? I mean, what, what would happen if everybody in, that's here this morning did that just once this week? The town might kind of quiver just a little bit. There's also uh, another place and uh, a way this happens is when you get involved in good works for the world. A number of years ago, we um, sponsored a great big semi-tractor trailer out here from World Vision. Some of you might remember that. World Vision is not as part of our missions support network. We're not connected to them. But we wanted to open up our eyes and our hearts to the world. And some of you signed up. Another time we had, for our missions conference, an organization called IJM, International Justice with a Mission. And we had them be the keynote address. We, we don't support them as a missions committee, but now some of you do. In this community, there's a place called Wheeler Mission. It does remarkably good work for those who are homeless and poor. I wonder, 
I wonder if you were to just take an inventory right now and ask yourself, which, if any, or how many organizations do I help that do good work? What would your answer be? There's an opportunity. You can't go to all those places. You don't even know how to handle those people. You're ill-equipped for it. But you can do a work by giving. That's what missions is at ECC and in every church. We send people to do good works and we make sure that they're funded so they can do them. So doing good works is supporting missions at ECC and, and other places. That's the what of what happens. But another question is how does it happen? Well, it says, you say to yourself, well, you just said how it happened. No, I'm asking a different question. How is it that this happens? How is it that this good work begins? How is it that, you know where it starts? It starts when you start thinking differently. When your heart is changed. That's where it starts. So allow me to say something a little provocative, will you? If your theology, if your personal ethic, if your politics is primarily concerned with keeping people from doing what is bad, then you are an unbalanced Christian. Because there's no grace in that. There's no gratitude for the unmerited favor of Jesus Christ. If you think about law and order and put a period at the end of the sentence, you have not gone far enough. I want law and order too. But I want reformation. A number of years ago, a man called Chuck Colson spent a good period of time in a federal penitentiary for things he had done in the Nixon administration. You know what happened to Chuck Colson? Chuck Colson came out reformed. First, because he was introduced to Jesus Christ. But second, because he had what he called in a book a life sentence. You know what his life sentence was? His life sentence was to reform people who have gone to prison. And now prison fellowship is all over the world. It's the focus on law and order and punishing, not for prison fellowship. Law and order is a good thing. Punishment is sometimes the right thing. But never is it the whole thing. Not for the Christian. The Christian ought to be focused on how can we reform the person who is the criminal? How can we lead them to Christ? How can we help them to experience the lavish nature of God's grace so that out of that, gratitude flows and their life is changed? Sometimes we get so serious about sin we forget all about grace. 
Sometimes we want to stop the sin so much we never think about the reformation that's possible. You know, here's some really good news about good works. You don't have to be smart to do it. Just willing. Here's another good thing about good works. You don't even have to be clever or creative to do it. You just have to have eyes open and heart open to see the need. You know, with something else, you don't have to have a position to do it. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from or what your job is or what age you are. We have kids in here in the summer. And if I could have your attention, kids, for just one minute, do you know that Jesus called you so that you could do good works? Jesus calls your name and he says, follow me. What I want you to do is to stand up for that person who just got bullied. What I want you to do is to be kind to that new person who just came into the class. What I want you to do is to search out someone who needs a friend, even though you might not have picked them. Because it's a good work. And Jesus is asking you to do it. You don't have to have a position. You just have to be a person who's following Jesus. You know, I've uh, heard the phrase before, I'm sure you have. What would you do if you could not fail? What would you do with your life if you knew you couldn't fail? I've heard a lot of crazy answers to that question. But I, I want to remind you of something in the context of this topic. When you choose to do good works, you cannot fail. Oh, somebody might do the wrong thing with your good works. Somebody might not appreciate your good works. You might could do your good works better but you cannot fail. Do good works. You know what the second thing is about it? As I think about life and what I could do if I couldn't fail, I also think about the fact that in the name of Jesus, good works have eternal value. Everybody wants to leave something behind. Everybody wants to leave a legacy. Here's a legacy. Do good works in the name of Jesus, and you'll leave something behind. It's eternal. That's incredible. We can all do it. It comes out of gratitude. And it gets wonderful as you think about it. How do you start? 
I'll just give you a few ideas. Come up with your own. This week, write a letter of encouragement to somebody. I guarantee you, you can think of someone who needs it. Take the time. Don't send an email, okay? Let them see your handwriting. Or, serve somebody who has a need. If you haven't seen anything yet, just come talk to us. We've got lots of people. Just serve them this week. Or how about this? How about if this week you just look for the opportunity to guard the reputation of somebody else? Do you know somebody like that? His reputation is being spoiled. Stand up and guard the reputation. Or how about this? Just look for an injustice. Just one. There's so many. Just look for one injustice and address it. You can find it. You can do it. It's not a big deal. Take a stand. Again, something is wrong. And do a good work. I go back to what I said a few minutes ago. What do you think this town would be like if we all focused on that together this week. Well, not to be melodramatic or anything, I know what it would be like if we all did that. God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Uh, we are so grateful for the work that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. Because you in Jesus Christ who did not know sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And part of the righteousness of God in us, Lord, is not sinlessness because we know that's not possible. The righteousness of God in us is the recognition of grace and allowing that grace to produce such gratitude in us that we can't help but do good works. We don't want the credit. We're not trying to earn anything. We're just saying thank you. May we say thank you in a variety of ways all week by your grace. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.